Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Frio Big Footy podcast. This week we're going to have a look back at the terrific game Fremantle played last week against Port Adelaide with some finals-like intensity for round one. And then we'll obviously have a look at the ins and outs for this big week's game against Geelong down at the Cattery. Joining us this week is our usual residential Victorian expert, Seto. How are you, mate? Uh, good evening and glad to be back here into round two with a win under our belt and looking forward to this game against Geelong. Absolutely, and also joining us all the way from Los Angeles is our US correspondent, Gil Stateside. Docker, how are you, mate? Hey, fit and firing at 5 a.m., ready to go, and, uh, you know, just really, really excited after that first win. Ah, excellent, yes, and it was certainly a terrific win by the boys uh, last week. Obviously, there was a bit of uh, conjecture coming into the game about how Prio's fitness would stand up, and obviously we had a number of players out, including a number of players through the spine, with Taberner and obviously Dawson and Silvani all unavailable, but uh, the boys that went out there certainly did the job in the uh, fitness that they talked about over the summer seemed to, seemed to shine through, Seppo. Yeah, it certainly was. They um, beat Port Adelaide at their own game style, um, you know, full intensity for the four quarters, and I was worried that we were behind sort of at the main break, and actually every quarter we were sort of behind the ball, and yet we stayed in with them and beat Port Adelaide at their home game and just really put it on in that last quarter, and there was... I think the best thing about the whole game was the effort from some guys like Daniel Pearce and Zach Clark that had a lot of question marks over the preseason. They came out and almost, even Tommy Sheridan as well, put on some of their best performances that we've seen for years. Yeah, and uh, obviously, Gil, uh, what did you think of the uh, performance? Obviously, I know that uh, we did hear, for those of you sort of listening to 6PR, we did hear you uh, call up after the game and obviously did hear that you watched it. So what, what were your thoughts? Well, first thought was Matty DeBoer, uh, the fact that um, you wouldn't really think of him as being an impactful sub, yet he came on, and if you look at the stats, he led the tackle count for our guys, and uh, he had a couple of key tackles of key moments, and uh, that, that whole Lockie Neal goal, the go-ahead one, you really could give a lot of credit to Matty DeBoer for making that happen, and here's a guy who's been on the fringe and seems like week in and week out, he's hanging on by his fingernails for his spot. And when he came on, it was a real horses for courses move because Maine came off when uh, Aaron Sandlins fell across at his leg. And if you look at that role of the pressure forward, 10 tackles between Maine and DeBoer, and Maine didn't have as much of an impact as um, as people thought that he or hoped that he would have. Um, so I was really, really happy for, uh, for Matty. And then also hearing that right after the match, he was out there running laps. So here's, here's a guy who's really taking his role seriously and, uh, you know, really, really made that big impact. Um, also, I agree with uh, Daniel Pierce having such a great game. Also, Luke McFarland, the job he did on Jay Schultz and just completely taking him out of the game. And um, also some, some really good efforts, of course, from from, uh, from Nat Fife and Lee Spur, too. Yeah, and also not... David Mundy in that fourth quarter was, was outstanding. Yeah, David Mundy, I think, was, you know, even though a lot of people talk about Pav obviously being the difference in the last quarter and those couple of clutch goals he kicked, but... I do agree that Monday's last quarter was a massive uh, performance and certainly made a difference between us winning and losing. I thought his clearance work and that sort of uh, his ability to be clean and composed, particularly even bringing the ball inside 50, was top notch. It was an interesting uh, tactical battle as well, Seppo, with uh, Ross Lyon rather than sort of you know showing that usual manic pressure on Port Adelaide, chasing the guys down and tackling. They actually hung back on them and just tried to make them. Uh, Kick the ball rather than being able to run over using the overlap with the um, handball run and carry and it, and sort of you know I know a couple of guys in the week talked about the fact that we only had eleven tackles in the first half but when you watch that sort of long screen of it you could sort of see 
what Lyon was trying to do in terms of making them chip the ball and, uh, you know, made them beat us inside 50 once they got the ball there rather than uh, using that run and carry and kicking those sort of running goals that they did a lot last year, particularly in the final. Mm. I suppose it was just like us. They had some pretty uh, shoddy kicking and they didn't actually get through um, sort of our zone and press too much. Um, but with the way that Port Adelaide played, obviously it fell into our hands when they were bombing it forward. And I think Johnson and McFarlane and Spur and Sutcliffe all had pretty crucial roles down back and we actually fed the ball out pretty good. It was our kicks forward into our forward 50, the ones that let us down. And you could even see when Pav brought himself into the centre square for a couple of the set of bounce downs that we did win the ball away and he's still pretty good at using his big body through there, but kicking it forward, there was either a lone man or expecting Ballantyne or Walters to win a, a one-on-one against Carlisle and some of those other big boys. So it's... um. It would be great to get someone like Tabner in to really structure us up forward, but for what we did down the back was um, fantastic to see. And if we can get a bit of our ball used to fine-tuned up, we're going to be good for the next few weeks. You know, when you guys are talking about that cat-and-mouse game between the coaches, I thought it was interesting the way that Ken Hinckley was uh, relying on a tactic that I've seen Hawthorne use the last couple of years to to get over us when uh, doing a lot of the chipping around, the high-percentage uh, uncontested um, uh, kind of possession kicking, the possession game that uh, that Port did that really, I think, took us off that manic pressure and took us off our game. And I noticed, too, as you were talking about, the hanging back. But it seemed to me like they were able to to go ahead and uh, and find some players when they needed to. And I was really impressed with um, uh, one, one player in particular for Port, Jared Pollock, uh, always being able to break the press and be able to get around and be creative. So that's something I think we also have to watch out for. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I think it made a difference that Hawks obviously, I think, had much better, uh, have got much better forwards than Port, particularly last week, you know. Obviously, uh, you know, with the Hawks having those sort of players like uh, Roughhead and Gunston and Bruce up there, uh, you know, Port had a couple of players who were probably a bit short of a gallop with Wingard and those sort of guys. And then really Schultz, I mean, McFarlane did a masterful job on Schultz and Really, Butcher just wasn't able to give them a decent sort of second foil, like probably a bit like us, to be honest. We um, struggled to, you know, we certainly missed a target like um, Tabernard down there. And it was interesting that really in the game as well, Seppo, they didn't use Sandlins down in the forward 50 at all. It was sort of, they, they rotated through the middle, but they didn't really use like Sandlins down close, even just to bring the ball to ground. Yeah, I suppose it's one thing we've uh, probably seen Clark forward of the ball a bit more and I like his um, athletic ability to really chase and that little uh, grab of the arm to pull um, can't remember if it was White or someone else, Hartlett, Pittard, one of those players. that he It was got that. Pittard. Pittard, yeah. It was just brilliant to see Clark actually putting big efforts and moving forward because I'm sure if that was Sandlands down there, maybe the same thing wouldn't have happened but at least, you know, with um, Sandlands what he did in the centre square definitely helped us out and you can just show his utter dominance to really help us win that midfield battle. But Clark, what he did was um, fantastic. And I suppose it doesn't really show on the stats sheet too much, but what he did was fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting, I think. Another thing that, um, you know, particularly on the press over here, you may not get it sometimes. You know, there's a lot of talk, obviously, about the Eagles with their back line, you know, with McKenzie out and obviously, unfortunately, Brown. And you don't want to see any players get injured. But realistically, we, you know, you know Freo also have their best full back out of the thing, but you don't hear a thing about it. So it's quite interesting, the two different dynamics there. And uh, I thought the uh, guys did a pretty masterful job in terms of uh, just being able to uh, hold their players in a team defence. And I think, uh, you know, obviously I thought Johnson's kicking out was a little bit disappointing, you know, kicking of the ball was a bit disappointing. But on the whole, I thought, um, you know, 
Hibberton in particular, Duffield, were very, very good bringing the ball out and their sort of skills shone through for There us. was one thing that I couldn't believe that uh, I think Ross mentioned in the post-match. He said Duffield's kicking was elite. And it wasn't until I watched the replay of a game after I heard that comment that you'd actually see how well his kicks were. And I think he had some sort of dangerous kicks forward when he was sort of running up the wing and putting it in, right into the centre. You can see what he means by elite kicking, just hitting up a target through through the midfield or up the wing. I think Duffield did a great job of that, and that's something probably we saw a bit last year from Sutcliffe doing it. It looks like Duffield's back to his best with that role. Not an easy thing to do coming off that rib injury either. We've got to remember that and give him, give him uh, even more credit. Because mm. yeah. he had an average waffle game return, and I remember everyone was doubtful that he was going to make it back into the side, but all those guys that really just put their hand up, even guys like Clancy Pierce that did a fantastic job on Boak. Like Boak still had 25 touches, but I don't remember him doing too many damaging things. He still kicked a goal, but I think Clancy did a fantastic job. And Not that we uh, miss the old Rhino Crowley too much, but he's, um, Clancy's definitely stepped up in his absence. Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought the other guy that stood out, and I know we just talked about him a little bit before, and, I mean, I've obviously talked about, you know, I'm quite a fan of him and I think he's the key for us to go a bit further this year was um, Sheridan. I thought, obviously, his disposal, he sort of made a couple of blue-boos in the first quarter, but at least he was getting the ball. He had 11 touches in the first quarter. But then a couple of little passages of play in the second quarter, he did a nice outlet pass to Barlow and hit him from about 45. And I think that little scoop pass to Fife, who hit Pavlich in the uh, third quarter. So he just did some nice little t- things out there and he wasn't afraid to get his sort of... Uh, sort of body in there, and I think it was, uh, you know, because a couple of guys like Lockie Neal probably were kept held in check pretty well by the port side, and uh, it was just good to see him step up and give, give us that um, alternate. And probably the other guy who there was a lot of talk about before the game was Daniel Pierce, and uh, I was probably a little sceptical myself about, you know, particularly because he was coming off a sort of limited couple of weeks, but he certainly got out there and, uh, you know, showed that he's probably close to his best game for the club. Kicked two goals as well, Daniel Pierce. so... He's got a fantastic left boot, and I think he's now starting to learn to lower his eyes a bit, and he's not blazing away too much, and that's actually made him a bit of a better player for our inside 50s because he's done a great job on it. And just going back to Sheridan, I noticed his hand skills in close is pretty good for a young kid and shows a bit of composure, um, and it was really unlucky because he nearly got a goal just with an unlucky bounce that sort of popped up as he was running into the goal square. I think uh, Port Adelaide player just knocked it over, but he nearly got one right towards the death of the last five minutes of the game. So he definitely put on a good show, Tommy Sheridan. I'm uh, one of his big big fans as well. And it'll be interesting this week because I think it'll be sort of a match-up line might look at, you know, whether, you know, because you can play Sheridan on um, someone like Cockatoo and just sort of see how he goes, and, you know, because obviously he'll have a little bit more experience or whether they, um, you know, give him a chance just to run off him and sort of rather than sort of having a more experienced player, either they'll... Um, he'll sort of maybe get a chance to go against the first gamer as well. So it should be interesting to see how he goes in that, if he does get that sort of role. All right, anything else you want to bring up, Gil, on this game? Well, the other thing, too, I think it was interesting when you all were pointing out the, the positioning of the players. I think, uh, Seppo, you were right in terms of Zach Clark uh, being up forward as being a huge difference maker and um, might be a better reason to keep him up forward a little longer than, uh, than Big Sandy down there. And the other thing I thought was very interesting was moving Pav into the middle later in the game. And, you know, putting, putting his clutch goals aside and, and everything he did, it was good to see him get some run through the middle where he was able to make a difference again. And then again, 
uh, with Fife and thinking about moving Fife eventually more to a power forward position. The one thing that I'm still concerned about with him, it's in, there, I don't think there's anybody better in the in the entire competition in marking and being an overhead mark and being in flight. But um, his set shot still needs a lot to be desired. And that's something he's going to have to work on to truly get to be a complete all-around player. He picked up a – Fife picked up a goal of the year nomination, I think, for his repeat effort, the one where he cleverly handballed the ball around tight in the boundary and swung it back around and got the smother and drilled it through again. It, was, it would have been nice if that went through first time without the smother, but – Picked up a goal of the year nomination with that one, so fantastic. I think it made it even more special that it was smothered and he and he mm. recovered so quickly. I mean that was uh, that was phenomenal. That absolutely was one of the one of the. Uh, it's definitely going to go down as being one of the goals of the year. Um, but still coming back to the set shot issue when he took the mark in the first period and he was high overhead, took a great mark, but then sprayed a shot that was that was easily gettable. And um, I hope he's not still flashing back to, uh, to what we all remember, which is the grand final of a couple of years ago. So that's that's the one thing where I don't know if there's a guru in, in the country that can that can work with him. Um, but, boy, you talk about being even more dangerous than he already is. If he gets that part of his game down, really, that would be something. Right. Before we move on to the ins and outs this week, obviously Peel played in a uh, waffle game this week and uh... – Obviously, it was great to see them have a solid win. 15 goals, 14-104 to 6 goals, 13-49. And Fremantle had 16 players play in that game. And the obvious highlight for most people was the uh, sort of nearly length of the ground run by Lockie Weller for a goal. But there was obviously a number of Fremantle players in uh, reasonably good form for that game. And uh, it's good to see that Peel and uh, obviously getting those players out in the park. And that's the main thing, I think, after... uh, now, particularly when we hadn't seen guys like Ballard all pre-season, getting out and getting 26 touches was a good sign, Sebo. Yeah, I suppose when you've got about 15 or 16 Frio players out there amongst Peel, you're going to get a more stronger side. And I think everyone commented on just the difference of leadership with guys out there on all lines, just you know the difference that Muzungu and Tavener and some of those other older blokes have on the side. It was great to see them put on, and, and even Tavener, you know, kick four goals and He's come into the side this week, and Lockie Weller to put on um, that goal goal of the year nomination, as well as um, another one that was uh, a good pickup. I think I saw footage of it. it; was a little snap from the pocket and got around a player. So, obviously, if it's different in waffle, but if he can constantly do that, you just don't hope that they get stuck in no man's land between you know very good waffle performances to a. Um, a game day emergency, like uh, some of them last year. I think Brady Gray was like that, missing out on playing for Peel and then being the game day emergency and then missing out on the game altogether because you, it's, it's a fine line between that playing reserves and getting into the best 22 that um, some of those guys obviously need an extended run and it's just great to see they got off to a, a good start. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously some of the other guys were pushing for selection. You probably just missed out like guys like Tenai Mazungu who got 25 touches. Max Duffy also had a pretty prolific game with 26 touches. Ed Langdon had 22, which was good. And Crozier obviously trying to push back in to his spot with two goals, um, but also had 17 touches. And obviously uh, Jonathan Griffin continued his reasonably good form in the ruck with 35 hitouts, um, but probably still just needs to do a little bit more around the ground, I think, just to be able to push um, for a AFL return. Then the other, the other two boys were not hearing too much about um, from Ross or from the website, Jacob Ballard, 26 touches there, and Max Duffy also had 26. Yeah, and I, I think um, 
You know, Duffy, I think, showed a bit last year in the Geelong game when he went down there, and uh, I think he's just got to work on a few little sort of, you know, doing the making bit better decisions because he's certainly got the pace and the skills, but he just sometimes his decision making lets him down a little bit, particularly at um, even at waffle level. So if he can improve that, I think he might be a chance because he has got a good height about him. So he could mm-hmm. be one of those sort of players that uh, could be pushing for a spot. All right. This week, we're obviously going down to the category, and I would say probably with the exception of West Coast Seppo, that probably the Geelong game or the Geelong clash each week would be just about close to our biggest rivalry, I would say, in the AFL and uh, with them sort of close games we've had over the last three or four years. And uh, obviously it sort of a big sort of change this week with obviously, uh, well, no doubt with all the news coming through about Stephen Motlop being omitted for having a couple of uh, frothies down at um, on Friday with uh, Luke Hodges' brother down watching the VFL, I think it was, or a country game. But uh, so he's been omitted, but Andrew Mackey, George Holland-Smith, Jordan Murdoch and Reece Stanley from St Kilda, who could make his debut this week. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he does come in. And for Fremantle, no outs, but three pretty good ins with Tendai Mazungu, Hayden Crozier and Matt Tabernow all looking for um, a return into the side. What do you think of the sides this week, boys? Oh, well, I'm just fantastic to see some of those. And I may mention it, that, that we played a very good running a game against Port and that was without Mazungu and Tabernow, probably two of our best long-distance runners, you know, with without Crowley out there. Um, but Mazungu and Tabernow can run all day and if we can get those two, it's going to be very hard to... I don't think Crozier might make the cut, but it's going to be very hard to even just drop two names um, from last week to get Muzungu and Tabiner in. But just both of them are just screen best 22 and they're going to straighten us up a bit for structure and run. And I'd love to see them in there. And it's just so hard looking at all the performances and the names that we've got there to really drop someone. So, And we're actually probably in a position where we've got the one of the healthiest lists in the AFL. I think there's probably Port or Richmond and... One other side probably has the um, least amount of injuries with us at the moment, with only really one or two best 22 players missing. Yeah, I was going to say, th- say the same thing that Seppo did about the healthy list. When you look and you only see that it's Morabito and Zach Dawson and Silvani uh, that have had injury tr- that have injury troubles now, that's, that's the first time in a long time I can remember us having that healthy list. Um, and then also, too, the big news with, with, uh, with Motlop being out, uh, it'll be interesting to get a look at Nakaya Kakatu for Geelong, and uh, also I have to I have to based on last year and say this sort of tongue in cheek. Reece Stanley, even that name sends shivers uh, up and down my spine based on what he did to his last year with uh, with St Kilda. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we defend in the back line uh, against their talls, especially with Mitch Clark in there now and Tom Hawkins with Dawson not being available. And it'll be interesting to see with with uh, and it's a good note. It's a good note now to have Mazungu back there, who can play tall, and Ibbotson who can play tall. And um, a point was made on the AFL website, basically about Geelong having a lot of difficulty accounting for small forwards for Hawthorne small forwards, which I would think would work to our advantage with Ballantyne and, and Sunson in there. Mm. Certainly, an area we can expose them, and, and even just with midfield run, I don't think they're. Now, depending if Bartel plays or not, um, because he could not be named due to the concussion, which is less than that seven-day break. So there's a chance that he may drop out of that side. But you look other than Selwood and Stevie Johnson, they don't have too many very good midfielders. And you'd think we'd definitely match up on them well through the guts. And that's usually where every one of these games have been played in the past. Usually the midfield dominance gets us to win in these games. So 
hopefully there we can get the ascendancy in the middle and not have to worry too much about Hawkins and Clark because certainly on paper it's going to stretch McFarlane and Johnson and even Ibbotson who played pretty well tall on Ryder for the Port game but I think it's a bit too much you know if they're starting to push the extra one down there if they get Stanley into the side as well as those other two it's going to be quite difficult but we can just nullify that if we're winning the ball out of the midfield and sending it forward to Sun Sun and, and Bellas like you said Gil. Definitely. And I, and I remember the uh, the semifinal from three years ago, and I remember how Hawkins uh, was hardly a factor in the game at all because of just what you said, because of winning that ball out of the midfield so much. And um, so, yeah, that, that's going to be a really, really big thing. I think the thing that also helps is that the boys aren't afraid of playing down there. Um, you know, the big qualifying final win down there did that. And then last year, of course, we all know what happened, uh, losing by a hair on that um, kick after the siren. So while it may intimidate a lot of other teams, I don't think uh, we're intimidated by playing at the Cattery at all. No, I think, uh, and you'd have to think, Seppo, that we certainly won't get the same, uh, you wouldn't think we'd get the same raw rubber the green that we got in that first half last year when we played down in the Cattery when it was like, was it about nearly 30 free kicks to four or something at halftime? I think between that game and I think the Bulldogs game early on last season were probably two of the most worst umpire performances I've seen. Already from what I've seen from games across round one that the umpires have started to catch a lot of those um, people ducking and jumping on the ball and going for highs. So that might play into our favour and hopefully Geelong don't get too many frees and and they start to call it, you know, you duck your head and, and let the ball spill out or play on. So... Um, hopefully that plays into our favour because it always seems like we're playing against one or two extras when they're down in there against Geelong. Here's something else for you boys to consider too. Do you think that we got pinged more uh, for holding the ball? Do you think we got pinged an unusual amount of times for holding the ball in that port game as the umpires are trying to figure out the new interpretation of the rule? I think there was probably a main culprit with Subin doing it a lot. Um, I think Fife was unlucky with a couple of his where I think he spun around quickly trying to break a tackle and he got a handball out, but the umpires are probably just a bit too quick. And I think I heard on radio in Melbourne um, sometime this week where they bring in some of the umpires to talk about the decisions. They said they might have been a bit too quick on the whistle with some, and they're probably the hard ones when you still see the player get the handball out. Yet they said they've taken too long, but Subin is one that seems to bury through a couple of players and, and get pinged with it. But you can sort of see it before it's even happened, the way he'll tr- try and take someone on, and you know they're going to pin it. But, um, yeah, it's it's probably just one or two players or a bit of unlucky stuff. So if it's called right, um, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, but I think, it was a, I think it was a good initiative from the AFL. I mean, obviously, it'll take a little bit of teething, and um, but I think it actually sort of tended to get rid of a lot more of that congestion. And I think across the whole sort of range of games, there was a lot less ball-ups and, uh, you know, the game seemed to flow a little bit better. So as long as it's, as you said, as long as it's consistent, then you don't mind that um, players being rewarded for good tackling. And I think that's something that I think Ross Lyon will talk about a bit this week because I thought on average our tackling was pretty average. We weren't, we let a lot of poor players get their handball free and, uh, you know, I think it's something that they'll um, certainly try and address this week, especially against uh, some of those players. But, uh yeah, I thought, um, I think going back to what you were saying before, Sepp, I think the midfield matchups are really interesting this week. You go through and have a look at the uh, Geelong midfield, and it's certainly not the powerhouse it was a few years back. And you look at the players they can rotate through there, and it's certainly nowhere near as uh, daunting as it would have been, you know, not that long ago. And you can sort of see why that, um, you know, particularly last week, the Hawks were able to get on top of them because they just don't have that same quality. And players are now able to really lock down Selwood a lot more than they did in the past because. 
they really don't have the same. So, you know, I'm a bit of a rap for Mitch Duncan, but guys like Caddy, Cockatoo, um, you know, Gregson, those sort of guys who are just coming into their own for the first time. And Bartell and Stevie J just don't have the ability to run run out games like they used to. So Fremantle, if you look at it on paper, they should, and especially if Motlop's out as well, they should be able to uh, get a bit of ascendancy in that midfield. I suppose that's the Here's worst the thing for Geelong because Stephen Motlop was their best player last week. So, And Bartell's always a gun, so there's a chance that both him and, and Bartell won't not really come up for this game, which is going to really take a, a dent in their midfield. And by the way, sorry, to, sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there, Seppo. The other thing is too, yeah, I just, I just noticed it's interesting in the in the media in Melbourne. A lot of the writers have been talking or writing so much about our list being older, and they and they focus on McFarlane and Pav, um, but they're not really doing the same thing when it comes to Geelong, and they have a bunch of players that are up there in years, and uh, it's interesting because they're not really writing a lot about their premiership window closing the way they're asserting that ours is. Mm. Yeah, Definitely, when you look at players like James Kelly and Corey Enright, some of those guys that have been there for years now and playing right down back and you think as they're getting older and slower, um, that might be a chance to expose them. But it's certainly the way that Pavin McFarlane played, they don't look like they've lost a, an ounce of speed and <laughs> some of them even look quicker. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely an interesting point you raise, Gil, and I think, uh, you know, obviously you can't knock all for them because obviously they've won two premierships in a row, but... You know, if you look at their top line of players, they're all, you know, in a very similar age bracket to Fremantle's, even though I know we've got a couple who are 34. But, I mean, most most of their players are around that 32, 30, you know, 31, 32 sort of age group. So, and I think as they talked about before, with the new medical treatments and stuff like that, players are able to play a little bit longer. And, you know, and especially if those guys um, rotate through the middle. And I think we saw that even last week a little bit. Fremantle tended to move players around a lot more than they used to in the years past, I think, or even last year, players were, who were in that side tended to um, play the same position all for sort of the whole four quarters, where last week we saw sort of Sheridan go from midfield to down back. We saw Mundy Hill go there. We saw Pav come into the middle for a couple of times. And we just saw a little bit more rotation from the side. So it was interesting to um, see, how it, uh, see how that evolves for Fremantle this year. And I think when we get even some of our better runners like Mazungu back into the side, and um, it'll be interesting to see how they rotate because Mazungu also showed last week or last year a couple of times that he was able to play in defence as well if we needed a sort of extra play down there because he is quite, even though he's not super tall, he does play a lot taller than he is. Mm. Sure, and then maybe Ross is onto something in terms of uh, in terms of resting players, so-called uh, resting in different places because one of the things he talked about was using Matthew Pavlich smarter. And, um, and knowing that uh, if, they, if they pushed him um, all the way into full forward for longer periods of time, then they could have some times when he had the energy stored up to run through the middle when we needed him to. And, um, and then also moving five forward for occasions and uh, you know rotating a couple of the guys down back into, into running backmen and then moving them around to the midfield. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. And, and also one thing that we're not talking about yet is the idea of uh, moving Michael Walters into the middle more and seeing him get some more run there too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think another sort of key area, I think this step for the Fremantle this week obviously will be the ruck contest. You'd have to think that Reece Stanley, if he's, any sort of semblance of being fit would have to come in for Dawson Simpson, who was um, struggling towards the end of last week anyway. And you'd have to think Stanley and uh, Lickvats will go into the uh, ruck, or you know, will do the rucking. And obviously, they're going to try and run Sandalins around as much as possible. So, 
but you have to think we'd have an advantage there, particularly in the middle in the hitouts, um, particularly if they're going to go with uh, Blickvats as the uh, main ruck option, as they have in, sort of in the team list at the moment. Mm. Yeah, well, certainly even just the way that Sandlands and Clark dominated against Ryder, and I know they had Lobie out last week, but we still managed 51 hitouts compared to just looking at Geelong only got 26 against the Hawk combination. So um, obviously Blixarves is very good running around the ground, great um, one that can probably stretch Sandlands. But if he's matched up on Clark there, I think we're probably going to help us win a lot of the clearances because that's one way we're going to go a long way to winning is just get those two and, and pop it out to all those certain spots where we can get out because we're starting to get better at it, winning those uh, midfield bounces and just getting the ball on the outside. So hopefully Sandlands can uh, survive the uh, the journey across and and come out and feed it down our midfielders' throats. Yeah, I, you know, we talk about obviously if Geelong are able to get enough of the ball down to their tools, obviously with Clark and Hawkins down there, it's going to be... Um, you know, it's certainly a tough day for our boys in defence. Uh, it'd be interesting to see which way they use McFarlane, whether they uh, play him on... I mean, you'd have to think they're going to start him on Tommy Hawkins because, really, Johnson doesn't have the body strength, really, to go with Clark. So you'd probably think that Jono would probably get the job on Clark to start with. And then, uh, you know, but they'll probably rely, as you said, on those sort of guys coming back and guys like Ibbotson peeling off. And that's where sort of where the Bartell gets through his concussion test will be important because Bartell always manages to find good space inside 50. And uh, in the past, they've tried to match up Bartell on Johnson. But obviously, um, it, it, but if he doesn't play, it'll probably give Ibbotson a bit more chance to come across their man up and help out where they probably won't have that same luxury if Bartell does play. Mm, you certainly want Ibbotson to be able to fly in front of a long ball that's kicked towards Hawkins or Clark or make him stand the man and let Johnson jump in front. But you'd think that McFarlane and Johnson would have to take the combination of Clark and Hawkins and let Ibbotson and maybe Mzungu, if he's playing down there, just fly and magically glide in front of the ball and just intercept those uh, kicks inside 50 and, and bounce out. So both of them are very good at it. And, um, and Lee Spurs, another one that's always goes in hard. And I can just remember his last few games against Geelong. He always seems to hurt himself by how hard he goes in. So let's hope he can uh, stay out in the field the whole game because um, he's certainly another crucial part because they've still got... Stokes and, and Stevie Johnson down there. So you, you'd think we want another hard nut down there that can just quell the influence. Yeah. The, the other interesting one, I think, is uh, having a look at going the other end of the ground, boys. When we look Once at some, the blood rule. When's the last time you saw that? Yeah. I mean, I think the other interesting point is if you have a look at the Geelong back line, they've obviously got Rivers, Lonigan and Taylor, who are all obviously play tall. Enright's quite a tall player. And then you've got Guthrie, who'll pick up probably either one of Ballantyne or Walters. But... James Kelly's the other one who loves to run off and play his own that attacking role from half back. It'll be interesting to see who they run on Ballantyne and Walters down there because they may have to whether they use. I mean, Jeb Hughes is probably going to play a fair bit. You'd have to think down in that position because they obviously I don't think as it lines up they're going to have a, a player with enough agility or speed to keep both Ballantyne and Walters uh, under control if we get enough ball down there. You know, also it'll be an interesting thing to see if Matt Tabiner has a coming-of-age game in this one because when he's played against some experienced sides, he's been out-muscled. He's been, uh, you know, you have the old veterans back there knowing the few tricks that can keep him from uh, getting into good space and marking. And it'll be interesting to see how much he's learned and the growth that he's uh, that he's made because he's going to be going up against somebody experienced in the Geelong back line. So this might be a, a real big day for him to see if he can break away and uh, – 
be able to, to impact the game a little bit more. You could kind of say that that Brisbane game last year was Tabner's breakout game, but he hasn't been able to hit that consistency yet. And I suppose there hasn't been too many games since, and he was injured late last year. So hopefully this is a chance for him to come back from his pre-season injury and just slot straight into that side and just straighten us up forward. Because if he can keep just one or two or just help Pav out a bit, you know, the goals might not come from him, but if we can get him in there just as a target, even just to bring it to ground, and we see more goals from Walters and, and Ballas, I'll be, uh, we'll be laughing. Definitely right. Um, and, and with uh, with Tabs, too, imagine what it would do for his confidence. If, is if you said, if you can kick a couple of goals and make a big impact, that would be great for, for his development because I can just already see Harry Taylor being all over Pav and, uh, and, and the Cats probably thinking that they can send some help along to him because uh, Tabs hasn't had that big impact against them yet. But uh, hopefully hopefully he'll really he'll have another breakout game for the season because I think last year we might have been expecting a little bit too much from him when he was going into the game against Sydney, and um, he was definitely showing some inexperience there against an experienced back line. Yeah, I suppose before we... Uh... The other two key matchups, I think, for both sides. One obviously will be Stevie Johnson for Fremantle. Obviously, Ryan Crowley's done the job on him in the past and managed to get under his skin pretty well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how whether he runs Clancy Pierce with that or whether he gives um, DeBoer a bit more time. And the other one, for obviously, for um, Geelong, is who's going to be the? Is there a natural uh, player who can play on um, Fife, especially when he runs forward and his ability to take marks um, dra- dragging him forward because they don't really have a you know, they're flat-out taggers sort of guys like um, sort of they've used in the past. Like Guthrie would have to play down back, you'd think, on Walters and Ballantyne. And Caddy and that sort of thing, they're okay, but they probably don't know if it, You know, Mitch Duncan might be the player they need to put on them, but even Duncan struggles up forward. So it'll be interesting to see uh, who they use on Fife in that role. Fife is almost like the untaggable type, and they've probably got to worry about Hill because... You know, we're from that final last, well, not last year, but the year before, what Hill can do down there. So um, there's certainly other players that they've got to be watching out. They'll probably run head-to-head, maybe Selwood and Fife. It'll be quite an interesting matchup because I think that's what they ran with Robbie Gray, I think, through Port against Fife, and that was quite exciting to watch and just watch the two win their own ball. So maybe Fife will probably just run through the centre with Selwood and um, some of the other matchups will probably be them managing Daniel Pearce and Stephen Hill. Here's a question, boys. Based on what he did last week against Travis Bulk and Subin and his personality and uh, and Subin's ability to to be a tagger, would you send Subin to Stevie J or would you stick with Clancy and send Clancy to Stevie J? I think Subin would certainly uh, roll Stevie Johnson up and probably force him to uh, lash out and probably give some freeze away. Um, Subin's definitely got that type of a uh, um, sort of anger and hard-edged game about him, Um, but Clancy just uh, it's probably different shape and different size to be able to run with someone like Johnson. They've got quite contrasting game styles between the two. So um, I'd probably say Subin might even be the better matchup to Johnson now. Well, I suppose that brings us to another point as well, Seppo. I, you know, whether Subin keeps his spot this week, but I think they may even try Mazungu maybe because Mazungu's mm. got that height. He can run and he can play down back if Johnson goes forward. If Johnson goes in the midfield, he can run with him in there. Um, and you certainly know he's not going to run out of petrol tickets. But um, I suppose that's the other thing we've got to look at, boys, that we've got obviously a no change from last week, but we've got three pretty decent ins, and you'd have to think that Tabana, they would like Tabana to have that be that extra forward in there to have another forward option to kick to, and particularly on that ground, which is similar size to Subi, 
and it allows um, Tabernet to run up to the wings to give that bailout option, or at least to provide a contest. And then you've got Mazungu and Crozier, who are both obviously pretty good players. So if even if you think two of those guys are coming, obviously the common consensus across the board this week has been that Main and Subin would be the two guys out. But I'm not sure whether they um, Lyon would be keen for... I know Main had a bit of an ankle injury early and probably didn't play his greatest game, but you might be loath to take him out, particularly if um, he has got that flexibility to play forward and back. So who mm. do you think will be uh, the two guys to miss out? If they do bring in particularly Tabiner and uh, Mzungu. It kind of makes sense to go um, Subin and Main out based on their sort of performances and injury concerns, but it'd be so hard to drop De Boer after his great job of coming on, like you mentioned at the start, Gil, with that five tackles or so just from that little quarter of footy. Um, but you never know. We might have all three, Main, De Boer and Subin come out and we get all of Mzungu, Crozier and Tabiner in, but... Um, all quite exciting prospects, but I think at least Mzungu and Tabiner would come in. It's just hard to make the call on, out of those other three mentioned, Main, DeBoer and Subin, who comes out. But you certainly need um, Mzungu into that side because he's going to be great for what he can provide. I agree with that. I think the other thing um, with that is I could see Subin missing out this time because uh, Ross seemed very, very wrapped for uh, Clancy in the game that he played on Travis Folk. And Subin also didn't play his best game, gave away some frees. And as you said at the beginning, Seppo too gave away um, a couple for holding the ball. So I could see Subin missing. Um, I would hate to see Crozier be unlucky again and miss, but um, I would kind of think that uh, that he would miss. And um, I think because he had a little bit of the ankle concern, I, I could see, in a surprise, I could see Maine being omitted this week just to try and get him right for next week. And, and, and as I said, or as you said, Seppo, uh, with DeBoer, you got to reward him for the game that he played. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the time when, when you sort of look at AFL games in particular, especially when you're playing sort of better sides or, you know, sides that, you know, in that sort of top eight mix, it's not usually your top 10 or 12 players that make the difference. It's usually your bottom five or six. And I think that's where you see the difference between Geelong of three or four years ago and the Geelong team of now. When you look at guys who they've had to bring in and they're developing and blooding them in, and but you're looking at guys like Darcy Lang, Corey Gregson, even Murdoch to a degree, Billy Smets, who I still don't think has really shown um, a great deal at, yet at AFL level. Um, but even Josh Caddy, they're certainly not the same guys that they had when they used to have guys like Chapman and those sort of guys running, you know, Tom Harley, all those sort of guys running through. So I think the game will be decided about how well our sort of more experienced players play against their rookies and one-year players, and even like you know Sheridan and those sort of guys at least had two or three years in the system. So it'll be interesting to see how um, those bottom guys go against sort of you know our more experienced lineup, so to speak. Mm. And the interesting note is that it's going to be a cold 19 degrees and a morning drizzle with a game starting around one o'clock. So you'd think it'd be cleared up by then, but at least the rain probably won't affect selections too much. And you'd think if it was raining, that guys like DeBoer and Subin would be more crucial. Um, but if it's dry enough, that, that probably goes out the window and we just go in with the um, best side available. That's an interesting point too. And, and going back to that Subin and Clancy Pierce discussion, I would send Subin to, to Stevie J because of just what we talked about, about the mongrel factor in Subin, getting him riled up. The only trade-off is, is that Subin also gives away free kicks and he can be a little bit of a hothead at times. But uh, I love Clancy and love the game that he played. Love to see him back. Uh, I would send Subin to him. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly interesting to see because um, – 
you know, as you said, if Subin does get the game uh, or does get a spot this weekend, you know, he'll be certainly playing for his spot in the 22, you'd have to think for sure, because, um, you know, it's hard to see a lot of those other guys, you know. But even guys like Barlow, you know, probably still needs to, you know, probably he'll probably be looking to improve his disposal a bit this week as well. But you'd have to think that Subin would be the uh, first came off the rank and probably DeBoer would be the other one who will be certainly um, sort of on a knife's edge, so to speak. But, you know, as you said, DeBoer certainly um, made every post a winner for the sort of 10, 15 minutes he was on in the fourth quarter last week with some really crunching tackles. And uh, and that's what he's got to do if he wants to keep his spot. So, all right, any other points you want to bring up, boys, before we finish up for... No, well, other than the point that the um, Cats are currently sitting after that heavy loss in 17th position on the ladder, which has probably been a good couple of years since they've been down there, but it'll be interesting to see if we can actually get the win and keep them down there and, um, yeah, really shape up the ladder in terms of if we can get a, a win here and really set up our season because we've certainly got the hard block at the start and, um, yeah, it'll be great if we can get this and go into the derby next week full of confidence and potentially a lot more younger players to possibly bring in and, and look at maybe resting some of the older heads. So it'd be great to get this win down there and I'm looking forward to the trip down there myself. Yeah, it'll be um, great and that's going to be probably my first time down there this week, Seppo. I haven't been down, managed to get down to the Cattery in any of these, uh, in all these times, So, but this will be a week when I will actually get down to the game, so I'm really looking forward to it and I uh, hope we get the same result a couple of years ago and uh, probably one of my bigger regrets not going to that final. But it would have been an awesome time down there for that... Uh, you know, especially seeing Hilly kick that goal on the run there. And I know that, uh, you know, you had a fantastic time there. So it should be a um, sort of top-notch game. And let's hope that, uh, you know, Fremantle make it two out of two. And, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of doomsayers were saying we're going to be 0-3 or 0-4 or 1-3 after the first four weeks. So if we can get a win this week, it would certainly put us in um, good position with the Derby coming up the week after. Mm. Hey, Gil, how's, how's the timing for this game? If it's a Sunday one ten, does this make it a ideal Saturday night game for you to watch? Absolutely. It could not be more perfect. It's going to be 8 o'clock Saturday night, uh, and I'm having a mate over from uh, WA, big uh, Frio fan, my mate Maka, who actually is the coach of the Orange County Bombers of the uh, USAFL, uh, big-time Frio fan. We watched the the uh, qualifying final and the preliminary final together uh, a couple of years ago, so he's making the trip from Orange County up here to L.A., and uh, we'll get uh, we'll get a pizza and a couple of, couple of cold ones going to watch. Awesome. And play, and also play a little kick to kick beforehand at a local park. And I will tell you, boys, I'm feeling a lot better about my kicking now. I'm, I'm becoming a much better kick week to week. Oh, beautiful! That's what we like to. Uh, that's what we like to hear because my sort of kicking skills are definitely down the uh, toilet at the moment. Uh, what do you uh, think of the? Uh, what are the tips this week, boys? Uh, and, and what do you think for the margin? Well, I'm going to go Frio by about thirteen or fourteen points. I can't see us blowing it away, but. At least two goal plus victory for us. All right. I'm going to go with Frio by 14. I, I agree with Seppo. I don't see us either just totally uh, blowing them out of the water. And I think the Cats are going to come out very angry with this one based on their performance last week. And they'll be eager to do well on their home ground. Um, but again, I think we're going to do just enough, just enough to, to get the chocolates. Yeah, I think a probably three to four goal win. Um, I think if you said if it. Uh... I think it'll be important early in the game, and depending on you know whether the, if the wind does have an impact in the first three to you know first quarter or something like that, if one team's able to get a bit of a boost. But I think uh, overall, I think Fremantle are a little bit stronger across the park, and particularly if Bartel doesn't play as well, I think that will make a uh, difference. And it'll be interesting to see after all the talk this week about how they're sort of 
taking a lot more uh, positive or sort of uh, stringent views on head knocks and whether Bartel does play. Because if you think anyone's going to get up after having a concussion, it'd probably be Bartel. But it'll be interesting to see um, whether they do play him or not, particularly with Motlop out, Motlop out as well. Mm. All right, anything else, Seppo, you want to bring up for the uh, Big Footy listeners on the uh, boards and forums this week? Uh, no, other than really looking forward to getting down to uh, Geelong, and I'll see you down there and uh, making the trip down. Excellent. And uh, how about yourself, Gil? Anything you want to uh, talk about before we uh, I help? wish I could join you boys down there. The closest I've ever been to Skill Stadium. I've been uh, right outside of it once on a trip uh, down the Great Ocean Road. So I uh, hope you boys have a very safe trip down to Geelongistan. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it, and let's hope that uh, the boys come home with the chocolates. All right, that's it for this week, and let's hope that, the, uh, as I said, Freeman will get the uh, win and go to 2-0 and uh, keep up the uh, good form from last week because we certainly uh, don't want to give this game away after uh, the terrific performance from last week and set up our season really well if we can uh, you know, get up to a 3-1 and or 4-0 and start in the first four weeks, which will certainly allow us to uh, set a bit of a platform for the top four come the end of the year. All right, that's it this week, and uh, we will catch you next week. Thanks for joining us again, Seppo. No worries, and um, looking forward to next week. All right, and thanks again, Gil, for getting up very early on a uh, what, what was it, Wednesday, Thursday morning, Wednesday morning over there. It, for it's you. Thursday morning over here, no worries. Thanks so much for having me on. Excellent, and we'll see you all again next week, guys. Enjoy the game, and we'll catch you later. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.